Good evening. Welcome. Welcome, Calvary Quakertown. It's great to have you join us this evening. And Merry Christmas to all of you. Can you believe it's Christmas Eve already? Now, you've heard a couple of times tonight that our theme is revealing Christmas. And you may be sitting there thinking, Charles, we've already been through this tonight a few times. We don't need you to talk about it. After all, we had the kids in the video before the service started. Then we sang through the whole story. Did you notice? The songs that we sang walked us through the Christmas story. And then Uncle Carlos read us about the first Christmas story. And now you're probably more confused than ever. And so we need to take a little bit of time to reveal what Christmas is all about, kind of beginning to end. So let's start with a quiz. Uh, don't worry, you know the answers. How many of you set up and decorate an artificial Christmas tree? Raise your hands. Well, you can fess up. There you go. Yeah. That's disgusting. <laughs> you can't have a real Christmas in a fake tree. Now, the fake tree may make cleanup a whole lot easier, but the Christmas mess is part of the experience. After all, you wrap gifts, and what do you do? You rip open the paper, you throw it out the next day. It's all part of Christmas. And the needles on the tree, cleaning it up, stuff falling, that's all part of the Christmas experience. Artificial trees are fake. You can't have a real Christmas with a fake tree. How many of you either go to a lot or you go and cut down your Christmas tree? Raise your hand. Okay, I, no, you're afraid to raise your hands now. <laughs> I would be in that category. Every year I go to Merry Mead Farm, I see Steve, Steve takes, takes me to a tree. I started going to Merry Mead years ago because they had this tree stand that's like the best invention ever. Remember the old days you used to have to turn each of the little screws to get the thing straight? I could never get it. Well, they drill a hole in the center of the trunk, then you buy this tree stand, has a big spike on it, you bring it home, sit on the spike, you're done. And then Kim decorates, puts the lights on, and my job's finished. But here's the truth about a cut tree. It's dying. And you know it's dying because soon after you put it up, you clean up needles every day, right? And as the days wear on, the needles get more plentiful on the floor rather than on the tree. Again, there's mess. And so a cut tree severed from its roots, it's dying. How many of you purchase and use for Christmas a bald Christmas tree. Anybody? Uh, we have a couple. I don't mean bald like Carlos. Uh, I mean bald like a ball of roots. In fact, I found out this week there's a technical term for that. Bald and burlap trees. A B&B &B Christmas tree. Maybe you've had trees planted in your yard. They come in a big giant ball with burlap around it. You put it in the ground. Now here's the advantage if you get a bald burlap tree for Christmas. You set it up. You decorate it. And the tree is alive. It still has its root structure. And what do you do? After Christmas, you take it out, you dig a hole, and you plant it, and that tree grows in your yard. Now, three categories of Christmas trees. There are also three categories of how people celebrate Christmas. And so let me use the trees to explain it. There are lots of people that celebrate a fake Christmas now, don't get me wrong, I love all of the cultural trappings of Christmas. I love the Christmas movies, Christmas songs, shopping. I love all of that. But if, if Jesus is missing, it's a fake Christmas. There's no heart to it. There's no engine. 
And if you scratch a little bit, if you kind of peel back from that superficial experience, there's nothing there. It's fake. Our culture tries to drum up those feelings, but the feelings are fleeting because it's fake. Interestingly, often in church, we get a severed Christmas tree, a Christmas tree that's dying. And so what happens? You kind of cut the tree off from its root structure. There's no ball of roots. There's no burlap. And so we think about Christmas. We start in Matthew. We start in Luke. And we think, oh, here's the Christmas story. But when troubles, trials, and tribulations come, the tree that's severed from its roots, separated from the Bible, even if you're talking about Jesus, there's no life. You need the root structure. You need the root ball the root ball from Scripture to give that tree life. What we're going to do tonight is talk a little bit about the root structure. Do you realize that Christmas has roots? Christmas doesn't begin in the New Testament. Christmas begins in the Old Testament. Christmas was promised long ago. In fact, one of the verses from the Old Testament is in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7. In Isaiah 7 we read, Therefore God, the Lord, will himself give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Now, Isaiah wrote that more than 700 years before Jesus was born. And Isaiah wrote and said, one day, a virgin's going to give birth to a son. And that son isn't going to be like any other human child. That son is going to be God in human flesh. That's amazing. The roots of Christmas go all the way back 700 years before Jesus was born. But the roots go back further than that. In fact, the roots go all the way back to Genesis. Here's the first promise of Christmas all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Now, you need to know the categories a little bit. Let me read it and I'll explain it to you. God says, I will put enmity, strife, tension, rebellion, disagreement between you, Satan, and the woman, between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What's he saying? One day, this woman is going to have a child and they're going to have children all the way through, and eventually there's going to be a son born, and that son is going to defeat the enemy and win the day. The roots the roots of Christmas go all the way back to the beginning of the story. Go all the way back to Genesis. And there are literally hundreds of other places in the Old Testament that speak of Christmas. And if we sever Christmas from those roots, we wind up with a superficial idea of what it means. And when troubles, trials, tribulations come, you won't be able to bear up under the weight and freight of that because you don't have the life-sustaining message that that comes forth from the roots. Well, enough of trees, enough of roots. Everybody knows Christmas is about presents, right? Now, I don't mean presents with a T, gifts. I mean presents with a C, presents, as in presents of family and friends. My guess is you have lots of things you love to do at Christmas. You like to eat, you like to give gifts and receive gifts, you like to hang... But every experience you have of Christmas, every enjoyable time you can think of, my guess is you were with people to do it. You were in the presence of other people. You were with people. 
you don't think of celebrating Christmas all alone. You did it tomorrow when eagles are playing. Then you don't want anybody else around. And let's hope this week isn't like the last three weeks, right? Um, you want to be alone then. But Christmas is about being with people. You gather together in a church service. You don't come alone. You're here with a bunch of people. Christmas is about presence, being with people. In fact, I'd be willing to bet, you can raise your hands on this one too. How many of you only see some family members at Christmas time? Raise your hand. And you're thankful for that, right? And we only see some people at Christmas. I remember growing up, we had a, a couple of cousins. We would only see them on Christmas Eve. Never any time during the year, Christmas Eve, they'd show up. Therefore, we knew when it was Christmas, they'd show up and visit. And it's sometimes that way, right? Christmas presents, Christmas being with. Now, Christmas being with, remember what Isaiah said, Matthew quotes that prophecy in Matthew chapter 1. Here's what he said. You should remember this from Isaiah. The virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, Christmas isn't primarily about being with family, even though that's important. It's not being with friends, even though that's important. Christmas is about God being with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Now, we often get uh, warm fuzzies, and we sing Christmas carols, and the Christmas carols always make us feel good about God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus comes to be with us. But that means we don't understand the whole story. Do you realize God with us is a frightening prospect? For example, you read some of those early chapters in the Old Testament, like four-fifths of the Bible, you read those early chapters, God showing up is not a good thing. It's kind of like when your parents used to say, don't make me come down there. Well, God, don't make me come down there. And if God comes down there, there's going to be a problem. Emmanuel isn't necessarily good news. Why isn't it good news? Well, God is perfectly holy. God is absolutely righteous. Any, anybody in his presence have to be, has to be holy and righteous too. How do you, how you score on that test? Yeah, and so what happens, God with us is a frightening prospect. It's a terrible prospect. Thankfully, before Matthew 1.23, Emmanuel, we have another name for Jesus in Matthew 1.21. Now, Matthew 1.21, we get the name that we most often use, Jesus. But you know what Jesus means? Matthew tells us. The angel says, Mary will give birth to a son, and you were to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua, that name means God saves. You need both of those names together, and thankfully, God saves comes before God with us. If God comes with us before God saves, we've got a problem. But if God saves... God can then be with us. You see, God is for us, therefore he can be with us. Um, let me ask it this way. Have you ever broken something that you can't fix? It's like the story of my life, right? You break things you can't fix. Um, a few weeks ago, I went up to my uh, daughter-in-law's, Ashley, and Jeff was there, Jeff, my son-in-law, and we walk into the kitchen, his leaf blower was disassembled all over the kitchen floor. 
Now, if something happens, I don't have a leaf blower, but if I did, and if it wasn't working, it would go into the trash, and I'd be getting another leaf blower. He has it all disassembled. He likes to fix those things. So I said, well, Jeff, what's up? Well, I pulled on the cord to start the thing, and the cord came out. I said, well, aren't you throwing it away? No. He went to Ace Hardware. He bought a cord. He brings it in, and about six hours later, he got the thing running. But you know what? There's a whole bunch of stuff that when you break it, you can't fix it. For example, do you realize if you squeeze all the toothpaste out of a tube, you can't get it back in there? I know. You can't get it back in there. And if you take one of your wife's favorite vases or take an ornament from the tree and it smashes into a million pieces, you can't put that back together. I don't care how much glue you have and how many little pieces you have. It's not going to work. And what the Bible tells us is we created a major problem. We broke our relationship with God, and we can't fix it. That's why God has to come first to save us, forgive us, and then he can be with us. You need both of those names together. And make sure you remember the order. Jesus, God saves, comes before Emmanuel, God with us. Now, if you think about it, someone else comes at Christmas that kids think about. And he's very unlike Jesus. You ever know somebody else comes at Christmas and he's going to check out if you've been naughty or nice? And he's going to see if you've been good or bad. And if you've been bad, you're not getting anything. My mom, I don't, I'm not sure if these threats work anymore. My mother used to say, you know, if you keep it up, you're going to get coal for Christmas. Did he still say that? I never got coal. I, I probably deserved it a few years, but I never got coal. You know what? Jesus isn't like Santa. Jesus is for us. He forgives us. And then he's with us. And that message, in those couple of verses, in the, in the order of the names, we find the gospel. God is for us. Therefore, he can be with us. And that's good news. Well, I have one more point. Of course, yeah, of course there's going to be a third point. There's always a third point. And you know the third point isn't going to be a happy point. It's not going to be sweet and saccharine. It's going to be a problem. Yeah, the third point is... Um, Christmas is a paradox. You ever, ever notice that? Like, we love Christmas, right? It's wonderful. It's ha even, even like nasty people, crotchety people, are happy at Christmas, at least for a little while. They're happy. Um, people say hello that normally don't talk to you. Um, but Christmas is also terrible. Christmas is kind of let down. Now, here, do you ever notice that reality will eat your expectations for lunch? You ever know that? Reality has a way of smashing your expectations. Let me uh, give you a couple of examples. Um, a lot of you are married out there. What were your expectations when you got married? Unlike other marriages, my marriage will take place on a romantic balcony. How's that working out? More like a battleship rather than a romantic balcony. Right? Gourmet meals every night. Never fussing and fighting, loving each other, caring for each other. And then kids come along, and they're perfectly obedient. They never fight with each other. Life is just, isn't that how it worked out? Yeah, reality ate your expectations for lunch, right? How about vacations? Before you go on vacation, your expectations are sky high. This is going to be the best vacation ever. Everybody's going to get along. It's not going to cost that much money. They may give us money for staying there. It's going to be wonderful. And then reality comes, you come back, you're you can't take a vacation for the next three years, you spend so much money. People are fighting on vacation, the food was lousy, two people got sick, terrible vacation. 
Reality has a way of destroying your expectations, right? How about your job? You have expectations, it's gonna be wonderful. You're gonna make a lot of money. They're gonna value your input. You're gonna fit. You're gonna make a name for yourself. Your career is gonna fly. What happened? Well, reality eats those expectations for lunch, right? Well, how about Christmas expectations? They start early now. Do you notice that? It used to be Christmas expectations started to build after Thanksgiving. Now it's like Halloween they're starting, right? And what they do, oh, you got to buy these gifts in the commercials. Everybody's happy, and the expectations are building. And, you, you know, this year's going to be different. Everybody's going to get along. I'm going to buy gifts that everybody appreciates. I'm going to get only things that I want. It's going to be wonderful. Can I let you know a little secret? This will probably happen tomorrow afternoon. Hopefully before the Eagles. Maybe it'll happen after the Eagles too. But sometime here's what's going to happen. You're going to sit down and you're going to look around and say, is this it? I, I thought it was going to be different. 20% of the kids' toys are already broken. Right? It's afternoon. You can't find batteries to get the other ones to work. You received a bunch of things, and you're thinking in your head. You wouldn't say, because you like, what were they thinking, right? You give gifts that you thought you picked well, and the expression on their face was, like, what were you thinking, right? Um, and you, is this all that there is? And maybe it's not the externals. Something inside says, this can't be all that there is. I've got good news. It's not. It's not. You see, our Christmas celebrations year by year, are meant to be appetizers for the ultimate Christmas that's coming. And remember, God saves, Emmanuel, they're the names. Let me read to you a few verses from the end of the Bible. Some verses that tell us about the ultimate Christmas, that our Christmases are just foretaste, they're appetizers of, they're not the real deal. Revelation 21 says it like this. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Notice, Emmanuel. God will be with them. He'll be their God. They'll be, that's Emmanuel, the ultimate Christmas. And what happens when God saves and God is with in an ultimate sense? Here's what the rest of the verses say. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more mourning. No more crying. No more death. The old order of things has passed away. No more Christmas needles on the floor. No more wrapping paper that has to be thrown away. No more empty seats at the Christmas table. Every, everything exactly as it should be as it was determined from the very beginning. You see, all of our Christmases here are just appetizers for the ultimate Christmas. But you only know that if you know the whole story. The roots go back to the beginning, and the roots tell us that our rebellion broke our relationship with God, and we can't fix it. And so God sent Jesus to save us, bring forgiveness, and then be with us and all of the Christmases that lead up to the ultimate Christmas are just like the little sandwiches and the little crackers you eat before the main feast. 
The main feast is on the way. So I got a Christmas assignment for you. Eagles don't play till later tomorrow. Sometime tonight or sometime tomorrow, here's your assignment. You ready? You may want to write this down. Don't just do something. Sit there. Oh, usually say it the other way. No, I'm telling it the right way. We often hear, don't just sit there, do something. I'm telling you something else. Don't just do something. Sit there. These last few weeks, for most of you, you've been doing this and doing that, running here and there, and most of you have a long list you still have to do tonight, right? But don't just do something. Sit there. And don't shift your mind into neutral. Put your mind in gear. And think about the Christmas promises that God made thousands of years ago, and Jesus fulfills every one of them. The promises tell us of a relationship that we broke and can't fix. Christmas reminds us of God's love. Jesus came to fix what we can't fix. And our little Christmas celebrations, those paradoxical celebrations that are mixtures of joy and sadness, happiness and tears, frustration and excitement, are all just appetizers. Appetizers to the real Christmas that's on the way. And if you would think of the whole story of Christmas, Christmas promise, Christmas presents, Christmas paradox, you'll be ready for that cosmic Christmas that we'll celebrate forever. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for Christmas. Not for just the event that we read about at the beginning of the New Testament, but for all the promises, because Christmas roots go way back. Thanks for all the promises. Jesus, thanks for coming, volunteering for the mission to fix what we broke but we can't repair. And Jesus, thanks for, thanks for promising that the ultimate Christmas, the cosmic Christmas, is still on the horizon. Help us to live in the present, looking back at the problem we caused, presently experiencing the forgiveness Jesus brings, and looking forward to the day when all the paradoxes will be resolved and we'll celebrate Christmas with you forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Merry Christmas.